Hello, good evening, and welcome to the latest edition of the Game is About Glory Summer Pod Specials. My name is Stefan, and as you will have noticed, we are recording away from our usual time due to the European Championship final having taken place last Sunday. And after such a huge match, we thought it was the perfect time to discuss captains too. Uh, In fact, I I had some nice, clever prose to read at this moment, but the events surrounding Sunday's European Championship final victory by Italy have dictated that the first order of business tonight for all of us at the Game is About Glory will not be to chat about captains or analyse the final. It will be to address the continuing disgrace that is racism in football, also in society, and the behaviour of some who appear to really revel in dragging all the positivity we have had from this tournament through the dirtiest of mud. Uh, And thanks to these morons, we have been dragged over the world's coals and judged as a collective. Uh, And I think it's very, very important that we address these moments and that we talk about what we can do. All of us at The Game Is About Glory feel the same. Ram, Gareth and Awesome are with me tonight. Hello, chaps. Hey, Hey, everyone. Hey, Steph. And I know that we've had many discussions uh, since the game, uh, and mostly uh, they have been about this very issue, how sad it is. Let's just look through some of the issues of racism that have plagued our game, not just from Sunday night, but have been going on for decades. And I'm going to go back to the early 80s and the abuse that the likes of Paul Canneville, Brendan Batson, Sewell Regis, Laurie Cunningham, Viv Anderson, Luther Blissett, John Barnes, Chris Hewton, Clyde Best at West Ham, who was one of the first black footballers in Britain, alongside John Charles at Leeds, and even going back to 1887 and Arthur Wharton of Queen's Park and Bootle FC. All of these men and many more have suffered this kind of moronic abuse for far too long. And to see it carrying on as it has is is just, it's shameful on all of us. Something has to be done. Our politicians have not helped. Conservative MP Lee Anderson refused to watch England because the team was taking the knee. What sort of absolute folly is that? Priti Patel did not support the player's stance and in fact spoke against it. What sort of nonsense is that? Boris Johnson refused to... Uh, to condemn those who are booing what sort of absolute nonsense is that. They are all as guilty as anyone of helping fuel what happened on Sunday. And again, in case anyone noticed, a football match happened and some very brave young men stepped up to take penalties and missed them. It happens. We'll be talking about penalty misses later. I think some of us have seen many penalties missed in our time at big games. I personally saw Roberto Baggio miss one live in the World Cup final. That's my opening gambit. <laughs> Guys, come in and join me and, and, and let's let's discuss first and foremost, uh, you know, how we feel about this. Let's let's be honest. Let's be heartfelt. Let's let people know how disgusted we are. Yeah, thanks for that, Steph. I thought that was really, really well articulated of, you know, the, what's been happening here. And I think we're really at a watershed moment when it comes to um, issues of race, uh, specifically to this um, to this situation. I mean, I... I'll tell you what, the, the the moment I knew Rashford was going to miss that penalty from his run-up, so I, as a footballer, as a, you know, I thought, oh, this doesn't look good. It didn't look like he was confident in his run-up. And as soon as he hit the post, my very first thought was, well, he's getting racial abuse. And then and then following up with Sancho and Saka, I, why, why, on what planet should my first thought be, well, these players are going to get racially abused right. now? For missing for missing a fucking penalty in a in a football match and um and and it happened and uh, you know it's it's absolutely disgusting and we should be you know as a collective we have to call this out and believe me I call you know I call it out in my daily life but I'm I've only been emboldened to do that through 
what has been happening on you know on a global scale um in the last few uh, you know specifically in the last year and um and through the through through kind of seeing seeing people I, I care about and and who have started calling it out, I was one of those people as someone who has been racially abused, who was consistently racially abused in my youth, um, who just let it go, said, oh, oh well, it's just you know this is what it is, and then at points maybe even protecting yeah protecting the abuser and and i see it now and i and i absolutely refuse to do that anymore and i and i and i challenge anyone it, irrespective of your background um or or your you know your race or your color or whatever i i challenge everyone to call it out because it does work and i've seen it work and i have to say the the, the way that um the general public responded on the whole to the racial um to the racial abuse these players suffered and to the behavior of England fans which is you know another thing we can discuss but i was so proud of the fact that so many people came out and stood against it and that is what we need because ultimately racists are cowards they either operate nowadays hidden yeah. online behind personas or they operate in groups um when you single them out and you call them out they go back into their dirty little caves where they belong and that's it. That that is all that we need to do because you know one, once the people on the it's, it's it's like revolutions in a way. You know the revolutions start from the ground upwards. Um, and this is such a it could be such a positive re- uh, revolution for us to finally kind of eradicate that. I agree. And before I bring uh, Gareth and and also me again, I just want to point out that further to that, seeing people like Tyro Mings stand up to our joyriding, hypocritical politicians who want to try and get a free ride off the back of whatever trend they can. Um, and seeing Tyro Mings saying uh, in a tweet, you don't get to stoke the fire at the beginning of the tournament by labelling our anti-racism message as gesture politics and then pretend to be disgusted when the very thing we're campaigning against happens. That's the sort of thing that doubles down and really makes sure that people understand what is going on here and what needs to be done. Yeah, I was very proud that Harry Kane finally posted something as the skipper of our nation. I was waiting and, and he delivered. He did. He posted the right thing about how disgusted he was. I was delighted to see that Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, our beloved Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, put a picture of, of Harry with his arms around Bakayo Saka saying that we stand together. These these are, They might seem like small gestures to people outside, but they are big gestures and they do need to be done again guys come on in sorry i've been this is a passionate subject for us all i know and i don't want to hog this i don't want to hog the mic space i think from from my perspective it's there's a whole world out there that really i i don't understand and um we were talking about it in the pre-pod discussion around this online trolling and the impact of social media and and the platform that that provides for these neanderthals to just to come out and to, to to make the comments that they do um I, th- I think it's so. I think it's so multi-layered, and unfortunately, it's it seems so in, in, endemic now that I'm exactly the same as as Rand. That as soon as each one of those three players missed, unfortunately, you knew what was gonna what was gonna come. Um, and it's just, I, I think it's just beyond my comprehension that there is there is anyone as ignorant as that and as thick as that who who has license to then go out and to and to promulgate their their thoughts the the impact that it has on 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 so many people and Rams articulated that and the experiences that he had growing up as well and it's it's time for us all to um it's time for us all to take notice of it I feel I've got to say I I feel largely very very unenlightened really as a you know as as a white boy who grew up in a very middle class area and did some very middle class and you know and things growing up even into my even into 20s I, I feel very unenlightened 
ahead. And so I'm I'm really grateful that we're having this conversation and that I'm part of it and can and, and from learn from from others' experiences. But but say quite why anyone feels they have the license to go and do the things that they do. It's um, yeah, it's, it's beyond me. But that's a brilliant point. We are having the conversation and we must continue to because I remember going with going with us to Chelsea and seeing bananas thrown at Paul Canneville. And it wasn't even a discussion that he could have with his own dressing room, let alone his own supporters. It was there was no discussion. And so it is you're absolutely right. It is important that we talk about this stuff and, 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 and that we 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 have plans of action, however big or small they might be, that we make decisive personal moves to act. Awesome, please save the world from my ranting. I'd just like to put another another perspective on it in a way. I mean, Gareth touched on, you know, not everyone's got the same experience as, you know, as each other when it comes to racism. I mean, it, it is a global scourge. Um, I don't think the UK has done enough. I think it's it's drifted as a endemic issue that um you know no government seems to really step up and i was speaking to my my partner about this last night and saying you know she's not as into football as i am and and she's like but football does have a unique opportunity to tap into a huge number of people we're not just talking hundreds of millions we're potentially talking billions it's it's enough people to actually make a difference and you know i don't live in the uk i think the uk has a huge issue not just with racism but with being polite calling it lad culture and it's incredibly sad to see it. it's embarrassing um and it doesn't make me proud to be an englishman living overseas um, and it's not the first time it's happened. I don't know what the steps moving forward are, but I notice, um, you know, there's a petition online which has already got a million names for people who engage in racist abuse in football to be banned for life. But um, yeah, there's still a hell of a lot of work to be done. You bring up a very, very good point about being English and living abroad. I obviously, I, I, I live in, I live in the US, and I, I, you know, I feel twice as much responsibility now to act as an ambassador in any way I can when I'm in a public environment watching football especially the national team I actually feel it's maybe more important that any time in my 54 years that I do wear my England top when I go out and that I make sure that people know you know not every English person you meet is like them they are a minority. Look at what this team has done. Look at what this squad stands for. Look at what these players are stuck up for. Look at where their fees are going for this tournament. This They're going to charity. They are a good... This is my England. That lot are not my England. This is my England, and I want you to know it, and I will buy you a drink. When I'm leathered, I will get you another one. I will put my arm around you. We will laugh. We will have a giggle about things. We will share, a you know human experience and that all the English people I hang out with and all the English people I go to games with when I get back home this is who we are and this is why you know you, you make such a good point awesome it's so important it is you, you you feel that you you want people to know this and this is why we must take the actions that we're going to take in our in our lives I, I just want to jump in there, Steph, with what you said about um, being ambassadors. I don't even think it, it, it it's uh, singularly to football. There, you know, I've I've travelled a fair amount in life in my life. I, I've lived on different continents, and I've actually always I've always thought of myself as being, you know, an ambassador for the UK in in, in that respect. In that, you know, there is a there is certain um, there is certain stereotypes that are pointed at us, and I wanted to be that person that says, no, you know, we're not. I'm from this is where I'm from, and and this is. This is how we behave. This is what uh, what is great about 
kind of the you know uh, the, the the country as a whole. Um, and I think I, that point you made about the team as well, like I, 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 the team didn't let us down in any way in this tournament That's or the previous tournament or on the whole. No. Our fans have let us down, you know, and 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 it's what a brilliant bunch. I mean, really, what, yeah. <laughs> and it's such a shame because you know we're not talking enough about this. These this young England team getting to our first final in fifty five years that is a phenomenal achievement and we're not shouting about that enough. Yeah, well said. And and just to make sure that nobody thinks we're taking a political bias here, I do want to make it clear that we're not. Uh, Saeed Wasi actually said and tweeted something that we all thought was was superb with regards to the problems of, of racism and are being fed through society. Um, she was address she was addressing uh, Pretty Patel. She said, we as government, as at conservatives, need to think about our role in feeding this culture in our country. If we whistle and the dog reacts, we can't be shocked if it barks and bites. It's time to stop the culture wars that are feeding division. Dog whistles win votes but destroy nations. And, and how superbly put. Um, mm. So I just, you know, I wanted to get to, to things that we can actually do. All of us as supporters going to games. What can we do to help kick these racists out and keep them out first of all i think we should call it out when you see it i understand sometimes it's intimidating and you don't want to front someone up in the stands or tell someone go to a steward report them immediately get them thrown out if you see someone being abused outside the ground around the ground i mean take this to life but be a vocal and visible ally for that person where you can maybe you're with some friends maybe you all go Maybe you stand by that person and, and, and help them out while they're getting some abuse. Maybe you can chase the abusers away. But make a step. Don't, be, don't, don't ignore it. Support black players of all clubs. Double down on it. Make sure you do. Let me just round off with a couple of other things that I'd like to suggest. I would love to see Harry Kane and Bioko Saka walk out together for the preseason game. And I'd like to see them applauded. And one thing I'd like to suggest that maybe everyone can do is... The next time we play either Manchester United or Arsenal, and it will be Arsenal first, given the friendly that's coming up, let's sing these players' names. Let's sing Bayako Saka's name. Let's sing the mighty Marcus Rashford's name. And let's sing Jaden Sancho's name. Let's show them support as human beings. And let's let them know that there is nothing but, but love for them from everyone. Yeah, obviously, when the game starts... We'll sing, we'll chant, we'll do what we do. We'll have a little, you know, there'll be a little bit of club banter here and there. I understand that. I'm someone who loves a good sing song myself, but I am completely and utterly prepared to stand and sing these guys' names, 100%. And I would heartily suggest that if everyone could find it in themselves to do something of that nature, perhaps it will go an awful long way to helping these young, brilliant and and very conscious guys. I mean, look at Marcus Rashford. And if you don't know about him, you need to. You need to do some research. You know, letting them know that we're behind them. And just to close, if there is any sliver of hope here, it is that the enormous pushback against these ignorant ingrates is... It's on. It's happening. What happened to Marcus Rashford's mural in Manchester, the defacing of it and the subsequent outpouring of love, support uh, and, 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 you know, really positive gestures has been, you know, actually quite encouraging. I, I found it quite encouraging. I found it really great to see, you know, the hardcore responses to the uh, vote pandering uh, and hypocrisy that we've seen from some of our politicians. And it feels to me that, yes, this is a fight that doesn't end. It doesn't end in a couple of weeks. We don't forget this. 
We can never afford to forget it. You know, we have to keep fighting hard. But it feels that maybe we are going to finally get some real traction in winning this fight. And I'm talking about, again, someone who saw horrible stuff in the early 80s. Horrible. I mean, just despicable. Uh, and, and maybe finally we're going to win that fight. But it's going to be a collective effort. And I hope everyone is on board for it. And we at The Games About Glory will continue to do all we can to support anti-racism and to encourage in supportive, inclusive actions. And we know you are with us. Now, let's talk about the game itself. Let's talk about Italy v England. Uh, I suppose we all know what the score was at this point. Um, <laughs> you know, what is it now? 50, 52 years of hurt, you were saying, uh, awesome it'll be by the time we get to Qatar. But uh, 56. Okay. Oh, my <laughs> <laughs> You're taking away years of hurt from us, Steph. Mm. <laughs> this just compounds the fact that I am an old bastard who is may never see us win a tournament. <laughs> this was a glorious chance. Who wants to come in and play hindsight manager? Who wants to start that ball? And just before we do, let us all say, Gareth Southgate, thank you. You are a legend. You did more than ever any of us could. We know this. Having said that, Let's have fun as football fans and who wants to kick that one off? I'll go first. I think if anyone knows anything about going 1-0 up in a game early and messing it up, it's Tottenham fans. And <laughs> and that's kind of what happened, isn't it? I mean, Italy don't let in a lot of goals. They let in one off to, what, a minute and a half? They obviously came back into the game. They're an excellent team. They've got a good manager as well. Um, I think they fully deserve to, to get the equaliser. And to be honest, I think we were almost lucky to get to penalties. I think they sh they probably, with the amount of control they had in the second half, I think they probably should have scored again. We we weren't looking good. We weren't looking good to score. Kane had absolutely nothing all game. It was unfortunately not a good second half. And yeah, you say hindsight hindsight management. I would I would have made changes a little bit earlier, like Mancini did. And I can't believe how quickly the extra time went. The penalties were inevitable, I think, after a while. And there's only one winner when it comes to penalties and major international tournaments. It's not us. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that we started off brightly enough. I was a bit, um, when I saw the lineup, I wanted us to play with a, uh, maybe uh, a Sancho or a, or a Saka ahead of um, Mount in that front three because I think against those ageing Italian defenders, well, I talk about ageing Italian defenders like we could have got at them, but they've actually been really good the whole tournament. But I thought maybe if we, you know, for me, I thought before the game, we had to play this game. Most teams, when they go into a, a final... Um, play with a little bit of caution but I think that would have played into Italy's hands so I felt we needed to go in and attack and just take risks and for that I thought maybe we needed um, uh, maybe players that were more ready to take on players and, and play at speed and things like that but that wasn't to be but I thought we started off really uh, brightly as Awesome said you know goal after the first two minutes and you're, you're suddenly thinking it's coming home it really is this time you know and, and it was just the most beautiful start but yeah the Italians they're just they're just ruthless and aggressive and they 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 you know they know exactly how to play play out games like this and that second half you know they they had us right where they wanted us it was like if it was a UFC fight we had our hands up in front and they were just kicking and punching at will without actually hitting the killer punch but almost toying with us at times but yeah you know they got the equalizer um 
and then it went into extra time. I, I have to say, I didn't feel like we were going to score again. I thought Kane actually did well in in the, the you know that first sort of ten to fifteen minutes, but um, in the second half, him and Sterling, I think you know really did struggle. Um, they struggled to get service, and they you know they, they struggled. The, yeah, I think we have to give Mancini tremendous credit there because in the mm. second half he went with a false nine and he pulled. Um, he, uh, he he pulled Insignia inside. He pulled him off the left, and he put Chiesa out on the left. And I thought that was a, a really smart move. It really gave us a lot to think about. And that mm. was certainly the point at which I personally would have been looking. I know I've been banging on about Bellingham the whole tournament. Uh, it's simply for speed and also sort of a certain wonderful naivety that he would have had in a game like this. That he wouldn't have had enough really to be nervous. I don't think, even though there weren't that many nerves on display. I think we missed having Foden fit. I think he would have made a difference for us being able to come on. But, um, you know, I think we do have to give Italy some 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 real credit. Uh, Mancini has really, uh, throughout this tournament, uh, proven himself to, well, let's say the last three years, actually, if we're really honest, has proven himself to be an outstanding manager at international level. Gareth, before I continue monologuing, please come in with some thoughts. <laughs> yeah, face value, it felt strange that Declan Rice was brought off because he seemed to be the one who was able to break the lines with some, some dribbles and some runs forward with the ball. But I'm guessing there must have been a lot of analysis and there must have been a lot of... Um, data that was available to the to the bench that they knew whether he was going into what's known as the red zone um, i think he got a knock he wasn't able to cover it did it yeah i thought okay. he got a knock i thought it was the only reason he came off but i mean otherwise i would completely agree yeah yeah i thought it was really good i i thought what was encouraging it was it was maybe a little bit too late but i thought when we went into extra time we did seem to have um have, have dealt with the threat that the italians were causing us and we we changed the system to go from a back three which i think we we, we all saw then became a back five, but then he made us. So it's quite a brave change in taking Trippier off uh, and going to a back four, and then playing two and then three behind behind Kane. Um, and I thought as extra time did it, it just seeded a bit of, um, of of the momentum back towards us. But I think penalties was yeah, it felt like it was probably inevitable once it went into extra time. Um, and then yeah, look, look, I think it was Milo that's been saying it in the in the in the WhatsApp group. But ultimately, it comes down to fine margins and Marcus Rashford takes that penalty 19 out of 20. It probably goes in off the post and it goes in. I think it's a very, very different story. Then I don't think the pressure that Sancho and Saka were under. Just just another thing that I, Ram, you said earlier in the other section, albeit it was a slightly different conversation, you you said that you saw as soon as Rashford started his run-up that you had big reservations about whether he was going to score. The big reservation I have, and perhaps Milo will have to tell us if he, if he knows the numbers behind this, I always get very nervous about left-footed players taking penalties. Um, so when Saka stepped up to it, for no better reason than the fact he was taking it as a left-footer, it, it unnerved me a little bit. In fact, just looking back at some of our other players in previous tournaments that have missed them Ashley Young and Ashley Cole in Euro 2012 both left footers as well um, so, so possibly there's something in that Chris Waddle Chris Waddle Stuart Pearce oh, 1990 yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 Gareth hang on yes yes we can make him available to you but it'll probably cost you 150k okay good mate the fa want to hire you 150k <laughs> a year as a as the penalty shootout expert for for qatar and coming that's a sensational fact I, I i seriously i had no idea that that fact well i mean obviously it existed i would never have thought to compute it but now i will save myself any anxiety if ever i see a left-footed penalty taker coming up <laughs> i'm just gonna put my feet up and say ah sod it it's going wide. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sorry, I, whilst we're talking about penalties, can I just make 
this has got lost in everything, but what a penalty by Harry Maguire. I mean, did you oh. see the shot where he took the camera out? Yeah. yeah. As well, yeah. unfortunately, well, we've not been able to reflect on that. But wow, let's reflect on it now. I have to admit, I am a bit old school when it comes to penalties. I like to see someone put their laces through them. I don't like studded run-ups. I don't like stop-start. I like the penalty taker to know what they're going to do with the ball, not to try and read what the keeper's going to do. So I'm always a fan of those. And that's why I think that Harry, you know, Harry is the best penalty taker. Having said that, Harry did miss a penalty for England in the last week and a half, and we must not forget that. And and while we're on penalties for a second, let's just take a quick look through some of the, the massive players that have missed penalties. Uh, Ronaldo, 2008. Lionel Messi, 2016. As I mentioned earlier, Roberto Baggio in 94. Um, Van Basten, Jorginho. He missed a penalty on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, players miss penalties. I mean, it, it just happens. You know, it does. I know we talked in uh, the, the opening uh, part of the pod about, you know, cheering on uh, and, and singing Saka's name and Sancho's and Rashford's. Are we allowed to sing Jorginho's name, but add some very rude words around it just for his performance in the game? It's uh, specifically that tackle on um, on Jack Grealish. And, it was, uh, I've thought about that tackle. I have to say, though, it was definitely a red card offence, but I do not think he went in to do the player. I really don't. I've looked at it time and time again. I don't see him looking to put Jack Grealish out of that game. I see it being a very clumsy, reckless challenge that deserved the red card. But do I think there was intent? I personally don't. And I've watched it a couple of times. So that's my take on it. I mean, but I mean, that's where the ref, yeah. the ref has to take charge. There. I mean, that's He's my right in opinion. front of it. And then, and then Jorginho sort of starting to get up and then realising, oh, hang on, I've messed up a bit here. And then falling back down to the ground well, and holding yes. himself. And <laughs> this was what I would call self-preservation. That's sort of like when a bear is attacking you and you just think, yeah. well, I better go into a ball and protect my head <laughs> because otherwise my head is going to be taken off. For me personally, I'll tell you the player that I, I have a love-hate relationship with him. I have to be honest. And if Quentin Tarantino could ever be defined as a filmmaker and a footballer, it's got to be Giorgio Cialini. I knew you were going to say that. Of course you did. Because when you see Cialini's face, when you see that Machiavellian grin, when you see the physical gestures, when you see the joy over a tackle, when you see the cheers over a header that he gets onto, and then when you see the sheer world-class level of his shithousing, and he can go major and he can go minor. And he did it twice on Sunday to the extent that I was actually alarmed. I was so alarmed by the foul he committed uh, on John Stones for the Italian equaliser. I had to watch it twice when I, you know, recovered just to make sure that I'd seen what I'd seen. And I encourage everyone to watch it. It's a, it's a clear foul, but it is the most professional and snide of fouls committed by and executed by an absolute Machiavellian master. I mean, really. And then, of course, there was the Saka. I mean, that, you know, where he tried to take Saka's shirt early from him before the game had ended and his, his head with it. That was just pantomime. I mean, he knew what he was doing. But you know what? He did it because he knew he had to do it. He felt he had to do it. Quite aside from that, let's also recognise that he is an absolutely phenomenal central defender. Who would not want him? And it's so fitting that we're going to be discussing captains later because mm. his name is going to come up again. Um, so somehow for me, even though this this final is going to be about Mancini, I've got to give it to Cialini. I, I really do. Very quickly, I've seen someone is waving their finger because they're going to have to edit all this out and uh, I'm having a little too much fun. So <laughs> let me rein myself in. Let's very quickly, lads, talk about a couple of the players that uh, we have that have caught our eye in, in the championships here. 
I'll kick off by saying Damsgaard for Denmark. Excellent. I think Vestergaard could be a really useful signing for us because he is a left-footed centre-half, which makes him valuable by default. And I also have to say, I thought Marcus Delaney was was really was was really good as well for Denmark. Uh, so many good players, Patrick Schick. And then on the Italian side, you have to say Jorginho really did his thing. But who wouldn't want Chiesa? Who wouldn't want Chiesa? None of us can have him. Okay, I'm putting myself on mute. Round out the Euros section. Round out the Euros for us, guys. Three, two, one. Who wants to take it away? You just took all the good ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, go yeah. On, I mean, me I thought I thought about Schick as well. Chiesa. I thought about Schick. Uh, Chiesa but um, I'm thinking of realistic signing yeah I I thought there was a he didn't have the best tournament but he was still there and still had played a part and I think you know this chap this uh, older chap for Croatia Luka Modric I wouldn't mind having him in our central midfield for a couple seasons yeah well you've spoken about a few Danish players that number 23 they had in midfield he looked dynamic and could break up play didn't he was saying (laughs) Hoiberg or someone someone will take a punt on him surely (laughs) he was he was very I mean, don't you don't you find though? Often you'll um, you'll watch tournaments like this, and you'll watch a player, and you think, oh wow, I've, you know, I've never seen him before. I've, you know, I must look him up. He's the sort of player we should sign. Then you go and look him up, and you find out that he's already playing for you know he plays for Juventus or he plays for one of the big mm. teams. And so it's a bit like um, it's a bit like being um, being down at the pub and noticing a girl that you think looks really attractive, and then you don't think anyone's noticed her. Then you find out that she's already going out with a local hard nut. So, or the um, or, or a bloke who drives a Porsche. So, um, I mean, like Pedri, I had I totally missed the boat on that. I didn't know he was already playing for Barcelona and had played for them quite a few times. Um, you know, in the last season, and and obviously he was a player that really stood out um, as a young player. But um, I've left you two out there. There's two out there. I'm surprised nobody's mentioned Olmo. Why hasn't anybody mentioned Olmo? He was abs- He was wonderful. He didn't. Did he? He didn't play every game for them, did he? But he looked excellent in that semi-final. I actually think Spain looked better than uh, Italy in that semi-final. Mm. They were the better team, and he was he they was were. classed. I mean, he, he dropped Morata, didn't he, for him? And excellent player. I mean, in the first game, I thought Mbolo looked good, the uh, the Swiss striker. But he kind of he tailed off a bit. He's at Munchen Gladbach. But um, I think you picked a good one there, Ram in uh, Pedri. I mean, he's the future of uh, the Spanish team. He's so comfortable on the ball. I mean, Busquets was making it look ridiculously easy in that difficult semi-final um, against, as we've just said, an amazing Italian team. Um, you know, to, to out outperform them is no mean feat. Um, so I think there's some good good young players. A good good mix in that Spanish team of of age and youth. One final player to bring up that really impressed, and then I promise we'll get on to our second part here. But it's been uh, it's fun to actually talk about football. You know what I mean? It has been fun to be able to talk about it a bit. Um, Marla, Draken Marla, the number five for Denmark, I thought was was really, really strong as well. And I mean, is he a player that we would uh, possibly consider going for? I think he's a, he's at one of the Red Bulls, is he not? He's a... Uh... He's at Atalanta and he's 24 years old, oh, so he's, he's he's a good age. I mean, the, the, I guess the issue is that he plays left back or, or left wing back, where we're actually quite well stocked at the moment, aren't we? With um, you know, with Reggie and with Sessegnon coming back, so he probably wouldn't be top of our list. But I mean, I, I was thinking both him and um, and Schick, who of course scored the goal of the tournament for the Czechs against Scotland, they are the classic Dumitrescu 
tournament players, aren't they? They are the yeah. players that you that, that you you notice them for those real highlight real moments, um, and then you perhaps find out in reality that they can't quite cut it on a cold Tuesday night in Leicester. But um, they they certainly lit up the tournament with two particular moments. One final thing before we go to captains talking about football, there was a medal winner who plays for Tottenham Hotspur <laughs> in the last week. Um, and it was at the Copa America, and it was our very own Giovanni Lo Celso, who was a uh, part of the uh, successful Argentina side that beat Brazil 1-0 at the Maracanã on uh, on Saturday night. Um, so I think we should all uh, recognise that uh, you know, Gio's massive contribution to Argentina's success. And uh, I don't know if any of you guys saw that game. Oh, dearie me. That was turning into a bit of like UFC. It was like if UFC was a, was pantomime, actually. It was becoming, <laughs> it was really just uh, just really some world-class uh, fouling and shithousing and all sorts and increasingly little football. Having said that, you win on you know your rival's turf the way that Argentina did. It's a little sweeter, probably. So, can you imagine if there was fans in the uh, the American Eye? If that was a hundred thousand, I think that would have tipped it into some serious red card action. It was. Um, it is, you know, it's a super classico. It's a tense. It's a tense game of football. It meant. It meant a huge amount to to Messi to get over the line and winning that. And um, it was it was a good game. I mean, the goal was a, a bit of defensive calamity action, wasn't it? But. Um, in terms of not intercepting that long ball, Di Maria finished it nicely. But yeah, it's uh, it's an amazing game of football to watch that one. Can Tottenham Hotspur claim um, the Copa America as one of our own the way West Ham do with the 66 World Cup? <laughs> <laughs> We've just done it, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. Haven't we just done it? I think that's called... That's that's true leadership, Ram, what you've displayed yes. there. That is true Thank leadership. You. And it brings me brings me to the discussion of captains. Stepping up as you have in our environment to lead there, that could be considered a captain's role. You've made a decision. We all agree. The captain, one of the staples of football folklore. We'll be focusing mainly on the skipper who leads the team onto the field of play, whilst also asking whether the club captain role means anything other than being a token of appreciation for service. That is to say, can anyone genuinely name their last half a dozen club captains? I mean, I'll try it. Larice, Cabal, Keane, King, Dawson and Poyer. I think that's I think that's our last half dozen. Um, but, you know, let's take a look at some of the myths and legends surrounding the skipper and the types that there are. You know, you've got your blood and thunderbust style, old school Terry Butchers, who seem to be increasingly out of vogue. Then you've got your Steve Perrymans and Hugo Larises. Um Let's just charge right into this. And I'm going to go to you, Gareth, first of all. How important are captains? Do they do anything other than call heads or tails and organise the Christmas party, mate? What do you think? Uh, I yeah I, I don't think there's any relevance whatsoever in in who the captain is. Um, I think the more important word and phrase is leader, and I don't think you have to be a captain to be a to be a leader. I say this as a you know as a referee who part of the ceremonial part of any game is that toss up at the start of the game, um, and you get a gauge you can gauge sort of quite quickly how effective the captain is going to be for you as an aide as a referee so really as a referee you're looking for your captain from both teams to be the one that you can go to to help you out if any of the players are causing you any problems so they can be that first barrier for you 
I mean, I've had I've had games where you blow the whistle at the start of the game, particularly in kids' football sometimes, and you say, can I have the captains, please? And then all the kids will turn around to the coach and say, coach, who's captain today? So you think, um, this is um, this, this really isn't going to... Um, and this is at academy level as well, by the way. Sometimes in men's football, um, the, the person who, who, who tosses the coin at the start of the game and does the pleasantries really is going to be no help to you whatsoever and you soon clock on that actually if I need some help today from someone I'm not going to go anywhere near this, this bloke because he's going to be a pain in the arse and he's going to cause me all the problems but actually the fella who's playing at right back today he seems quite a sensible chap and he seems to have the ears of his teammates actually if I tell him to ask a couple of his teammates to calm down perhaps including nominally the captain he might be of, um, of, of more use to me. I think historically, though, where we think of captains, we're thinking of those leadership qualities and those players who can just get a little bit more out of their teammates on the pitch and be the voice of the of the manager. So I, th- I think historically, Danny Blanchflower will always be the player most synonymously recognised as the captain of Tottenham Hotspur. And, but to all accounts, he appeared to be Bill Nicholson's voice once we crossed the line onto the pitch. And I think he carried out the duties of that. But since then, really, I, I think that the best teams have got a number of different different leaders within the team and actually who wears the armbands pretty irrelevant. Ram, do you think that we're, and I say we're, do you think the English are a bit odd in how we view our captains? I mean, you know, how do other countries view their, their, their captains? So I struggle with this question because I kept going back and forth of, you know, how do we treat our captains as fans uh, over here as as they uh, compared to how they would do in other countries? I don't think the word is odd. I think maybe slightly different. So I think I think the the premise of the captain for me, from my experience in 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 seeing captains in other leagues, is they're generally treated the same. You know, they're looking at this that leader on the pitch. It's someone who the fans can see that is synonymous with the club uh, and with uh, you know someone that they can get behind. Ideally, someone who's been in and around the club for a, for a, for a long time. You know, and someone that's willing to willing to go to any lengths on the pitch. Um, to help their team out and I think that for me I feel that's across the board I would say and, and feel free to shoot me down on this anyone I would say in England we um maybe that our our image of our captain as fans uh, and and as the player stays com- comparative comparatively to what happens on the pitch and in and around the club whereas I feel abroad sometimes captains are synonymous with how they how they present themselves outside of the club so, um, and again, this could be massively stereotyping our own captains, but when I think of captains, some of the great captains in Italy and Spain, you know, the Mediterranean captains, they're, they're very stylish and they kind of, you know, they go out and they're very, they're, they're thought of, they're, they're highly regarded outside of football as they are um, within football. And I look at some of our captains over the past, I look at some old, you know, some England captains and some of them are synonymous with, you know, shithousery on and off the pitch. They're they're involved with um you know maybe some more undesirable elements and um but but they're kind of almost given a free pass for that because they're the captain of the club. I'm struggling not to name specific names here because I let think me, that'd be let me help unfair. you out. Let, no no let me help you out. Paolo right. Maldini, what a what a man. I mean what a man. Uh, yeah. I mean not only was he a great skipper, he's a good looking geezer as well. I mean you you wanted yeah, to look yeah. like him. I wanted to look like him. Not a chance. And I know who you're talking about. <laughs> We all do. First name begins with J, second begins with T. We don't need we don't need to, to, to actually go for you know, to name him, but you give us one or the other, 
I'm with you. It's Paolo all day. But anyway, I interrupted. No, I mean, that was essentially it. And I think it's unfair to label all England captains, <laughs> you know, or, or English or, or you, you, uh, like him. United Kingdom based captains like him. But then I think, you know, some of the some of um, the uh, foreign players that have come over, you know, like a Vieira um, who's come over and, and they have that same um, gusto and blood and thunder. And, you know, that sort of thing that we, we require from our captains, whereas I feel to certain extents, you know, you do get that like Carlos Puyol, for example, with Barca. He could have very well come to the Premier League and be that captain, you know, as well as he was for Barca. But I in, initially, you know, I think of the Cannavaro or the Maldini or, you know, Franco Baresi these kind of these kind of um captains and i think there's just an element there where I, that that's the difference between an um captains in england and and captains uh, abroad for me is that they are synonymous in and out of football with how they behave as captains and as leaders whereas i think in england not for better or for worse by the way i'm not trying to single no. us out in that way but they are more synonymous in and around the club that they play for right i mean it would be, look it would be church this is a this could be a separate pod in and of itself, but I mean, it'd be churlish to it would be churlish not to admit that he who should not be named was actually a very effective captain yeah. for them that we shall not name either. Awesome. If Florence is to leave, who would you make captain out of who's left in the squad? In terms of the current squad, I think you've got to look at um, Kane, Hoiberg, um, looking a little bit more to the future. Maybe you can introduce your kind of skips, Rodon. But I do think there's a there's a bit of a lack in those types of characters in our present squad, which might be something that the the new manager needs to address. I'll put you on the spot here. Let's say Hugo's not in goal, Harry's injured, and Pierre's been rested for the day because he's played 565 days of football straight. Who gets the armband? Rodon. I like that, and that's because he reminds you. You were saying you were saying you like your captains to be. You like your traditional centre-back captain, really, yeah? Yeah, I think it, it, it does tend to work well. I mean, listening to the conversation that's just gone on and, you know, if if Chiellini was English, he'd have been captain of our team. It wouldn't have been Kane. I mean, he, he was an obvious contender. I mean, Ram rattled through all the good names of captains. The one that especially Cannavaro was on the tip of my tongue. But Philip Lahm was one that you didn't mention that I think very understated guy synonymous with you know great German team um quietly went about his business in a bit of a kind of Aspilicueta kind of way um but excellent captain and we like I said we don't have a huge amount of characters like that in the, in the club at the moment at Spurs that's a great shout Philip Lahm actually reminds me very much of Steve Perryman in the way that he captains now that you mention it so I mean they're quite similar as you say very understated in one sense but very powerful very strong and 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 leading by example that's a, that's, a, that's a really good shout and you did bring up Roden again I think Roden's another uh, really interesting choice because you do see him remonstrating and and talking he's very communicative and you know He's a loud captain. You know, Robbie Keane was a loud captain. We used to refer to him as pointy shouty. And I'm going to throw this to the floor. You know, can a quiet captain be as effective? I think perhaps it reflects what's going on in society and, and certainly in business that we're hopefully moving away from the fact that you don't need to have an alpha male as your leader. And I, I think there are there are there are quieter captains. So I'm just listing down the players in the squad that I thought potentially could be. And you know, perhaps someone like Ben Davis just quietly gets on with it, leads by example. I'm sure he would carry the respect of the other players around him. And then um, you know, the other one. Sorry, I'm slightly answering the last question that you had, but hopefully it it, um, it it's relevant as well. But Musa Sissoko seems to be the leader in the changing room, didn't he? He seems to be the player that the Amazon, the Amazon documentary picked up as well. And he doesn't have those demonstrable. Um, 
cap- traditional captain's qualities that you might associate with that alpha male leader. But, but perhaps he just carries the respect from his other players. And actually, if he or Ben Davis tell someone to do someone, they'll do it in such a way that it will carry some weight. I totally agree with you, uh, Gareth. And, you know, I, I love that you brought up that thing about, you know, no longer requiring that kind of alpha male type character because I think that has been, uh, that is a shift that's happening. And I think in, to, so, to some extent, it's already happened in Europe, um, you know, with, with uh, a select number of captains that are synonymous with their clubs and synonymous with success. Um, I, I feel like, um, you know, in terms of having a pointy, shouty captain, I think I also agree with you. I, I actually think that a captain's role is uh, is important within, within the team in terms of, and this is just from hearing ex-players um, discuss uh, the role of captain. And, you know, there's a certain ex-Spurs striker who has a who has a podcast out at the, at the moment, a very successful one, and I'm sure he's listening today. So hello, Crouchy. Um, but uh, he, he talked about, um, you know, the captain's role and what, and what it entails and I think you're right it has to be someone that is widely respected in the dressing room has some gravitas and you know is is a is able to have that gravitas not just with the players and the coach but with the board as well um and I want to I just want to quickly say something about Kane because he's not really considered a pointy shouty captain but I've read twice now about him how how he conducts himself and how how other players respect him and also when it comes down to the crunch he's delivered apparently so some incredible rousing you know pre-match or half-time speeches that have really galvanized the players um you know one being at the uh, uh the, that famous semi-final in the Champions League and then the other before the Germany game as well I think Milo Shared something in our group um, about Kitman, who said that they knew they were going to win thirty seconds up from up from hearing thirty seconds of the captain speak, and I think that speaks volumes. It doesn't have to be all um, you know bluster on the pitch; it can be behind the scenes as well. Great point. We're going to get into a few short, sharp shockers, as I would call them, the three, two, one, go round here. It's fingers on the buzzer, right? So I'm not going to nominate anyone. Just get ready to go. Who's been your favourite Spurs? Captain. Three, two, one, go. Mabbott. Ledley. Uh, Michael Dawson. Who are the captains you've most admired with other clubs? Paolo Maldini and Javier Zanetti. Vincent Company. I- I'm struggling to come up with anything other than Tony Adams, who I've oh. had a huge amount of respect for the way that he, he led <laughs> club and country, to be fair. Blasphemous. <laughs> but it is interesting... It does bring up this other this other angle. It is blasphemous, uh, but it's forgivable because I completely understand what Gareth is saying. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, in football terms, and again, this is football, not real life. You know, I despised him, but I, my word, I respected him. Again, I've said this before. He refused to join George Graham uh, at our club on the backroom staff, and I could only hold my hands up. So I, I completely understand what you're saying, Gareth. I really, I, I do get it. You know, and actually, again, you talk about leaders. I mean. Tony Adams is certainly someone who has turned his own mistakes into uh, a situation where he has helped many, many other people with his sporting chance uh, stuff. And I think that that is, I mean, he did it when people weren't really doing that, when geezers, as he was in the early 90s, just didn't do that. They didn't do feelings and they didn't do recriminations. And you'd, so again, Gareth, you've hit the nail on the head because you'd have to say if ever there was leadership, that was true leadership to be able to do that and to, for his sporting chance work alone. Uh, yeah. Good Lord, have we just spent three minutes eulogising Tony Adams? Or did I spend three minutes? <laughs> no, you spent three minutes. Yeah. Two minutes. See, got... that, see that on the floor no. later. I, I've got to say, as much as it pains me to admit it, 
because I think some of his punditry is just, I mean, draconian. I think Roy Keane was a spectacular captain. Um, I agree. He did things that I considered yeah. utterly unsavoury on a football pitch, there's no doubt. But he led, my word, he led. He really I think he did. showed as well the importance of managing to get the message across from the bench to the pitch. And, you know, he had the best probably the best has ever been on the bench in, in Ferguson. And in, he was Ferguson's, yeah. you know, mouthpiece on the pitch yeah. and so much more than that. He was a, he was an amazing player as well. But no, good shout. Good shout. Yeah. And then we ask, who should have been a Spurs captain that never was? Three, two, one, go. <laughs> oh, no. Nobody's going to say Pascal Chimbunda. <laughs> no, I was, the, the first word, the, the first name that came into my head was Benoit Sukota. <laughs> Just just, just because I think he'd be really cool. <laughs> I'll throw one out. I think it would have been fun to have seen Rafa van der Vaart be a skipper for Harry Redknapp's oh. Tottenham. I think he would have been a fun skipper. I don't know how good he would have been, but he would have been a personality. Um, In a similar vein, I was going to say Davids, Edgar Davids. Right. Yeah. Very good shout, actually. Good shout. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure in all of his what 300 plus games for the club, how many times Darren Anderson captain Spurs. But listen, the way that if you hear him speak back now, he's um, he's he's a very articulate fella. He's um, he was he was really is a very typical Tottenham player as well, wasn't he? He had the longevity that he'd been with us for for a long period of time, and he embodied a lot of the values in the way that he played the game that you'd like, you know, carried on um, and and seemed like a genuinely nice fella as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the one that you know that prediction that you know, we all made many predictions that never work out. The one that I I I hung my hat on for a while, which is why I don't wear a hat anymore and I have this stupid haircut all the time. Uh, was Nabil Bentaleb? I was so sure that he was going to be a future captain of our club, and I was sh- so sure that he was the future of the midfield. I was so sure of it, and I was actually shocked when he crossed the line with Poch. That's when I first realised Poch was tough. He's like, he's not going to... Well, I mean, I'd realised a little before, but it really reinforced it. And so it does lead me to another person. I'll throw this name out, Ryan Mason. Yeah, I guess he was always a very junior member of the team when he before he got moved on, wasn't he? But yeah, yeah he, yeah. he, he de- undoubtedly, if he'd stayed with the club, would have gone on to assume that position, I'm sure. So one final question, and, you know, if we can get this in... Well, actually, it'll be the second question it'll be the penultimate question thing because i'm going to sneak one in that's not in the notes um in the world of football what has been one of the greatest displays of captaincy you've ever seen i was lucky enough to be at that old trafford uh england greece where beckham you know he wasn't always my favorite player but my god did he he rise above it that day and the pressure in the stadium was just building and building he actually i suppose the only criticism i have is he took about 10 free kicks before he got one right but um not just the free kicks, but his all-round performance that in that oh. game, he really did put in a shift, and he played incredibly well. Like there was there was no doubt about who was man of the match in that one, and it was a big moment, you know, to get us actually to a World Cup from a free kick thirty odd yards out was was a big moment to step up, and he did that. That performance was his final redemption from France '98 as well. That's when the whole world, you know, then it became golden balls and all that. But he like. He really, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Awesome, what a performance! Interesting, that's really good. Yeah, well, I suppose the, the recent one is Simon Kier, the Danish captain, and the actions that he took when Brilliant. when Christian Eriksen collapsed a few weeks ago. Um, that you know the leadership qualities that Kier showed then to recognise the situation and to recognise the fact that this was no longer a football situation. This was a this was a human and this was a life and death situation. Um, and the very quick 
uh, decisive actions that he took there were incredible. I agree, Gareth, and um, and he was actually I had him down on my list. I've got I've got three names if that's all right. Yes, please. I've got Roy Keane um, after he was yellow carded against Juve, his performance in that uh, Champions League semi final. Cannavaro throughout the World Cup 2006, and he even ended up winning the Did he win the Ballon d'Or as well um, after yeah. that? Um, and and then I've got uh, Maradona World Cup 86. Okay, well, despite round picking picking three of the best of the rest there, um, I'm amazed you didn't pick this one. Gerard Istanbul, oh. 2005. I mean, what yeah, what captaincy shout. and the fact that he kind of you know slept with the trophy. It was uh, you know as much as we don't like them, it was a magic magic time for Liverpool. Yeah, those are all great shouts. So my last question, which is not here, is let's see if we can do this. Okay, Gareth, awesome. If Ram was a Tottenham player as a skipper, one of our skippers, which player would he be? Which captain of our glorious past would Ram be? Hugo Lloris. Do you want me to justify that? No, no, it's good. That's fine, <laughs> Gareth. Yeah, I, I, I can see a bit of Ledley about him, just that quiet assurance and you, like you kind of look at him and realise that, yeah, he, you know, he means business. I like that. I'm going for Gary Mabber. I think it's a, I think he's a bit of a Mabs figure myself. Um, And now, Ram, Gareth and myself, now we're going to go for awesome. Which captain in our in our history has awesome been? I, I think it's it's in the name. <laughs> I think he'd be Michael Dawson. I think, you, and genuinely, I think you know he's he's uh, he you, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to. He's forthright. He gets it. You know, he, he gets in there. He's not. He doesn't hide. And uh, and you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of him in a in a in a, in a one on one. <laughs> I think there's a bit of Graham Roberts about him. I think. <laughs> I like that. I'm actually going to go for Keno. I'm going to say he's a bit of a Robbie Keane in the making there, I think. A bit, <laughs> bit of Keno in there. Um, all right. Ram, awesome. Now we get the pleasure of Gareth. Which of our uh, illustrious skippers is Gareth? I'm, I'm going to go for Gary Mabbott. Uh, uh, again, for the same reasons. I think there's there's uh, he knows what he's doing. He's got the respect of his peers. Um, he leads by example. He doesn't have to run about pointing, shouting, and stuff like that. You know, we all just follow because we believe in him. I agree. To be honest, he uh, yeah does a lot of good work in the community. Solid character, upstanding member of society. Yeah, you can't go beyond Gary Mavert for that. Good shout. It is a bit of a clean sweep. I briefly considered <laughs> Teddy Sheringham, but uh, I realised that. I don't know if Gareth has. Uh, I don't know if Gareth has. Uh, not, you know, no. been to as many nightclubs as Teddy's been <laughs> in his time. So I think he is a bit of a Gary Mever. I, I I agree with that. I agree with that. So uh, yeah, well, yeah. there oh, we are have we turning it. the tables on you, Steph. You're more than welcome to if you want. Someone's got to turn them. I'm not going to turn them on myself. That would make me a giant dick. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go first and I'll say there's a bit of Hugo in you, I think, Steph. Like that, yeah, I'll take that. Um I yeah, I certainly wouldn't want to be sunny if you if you threw me a pass that I I was too lazy and, and, and didn't pick up in time. I, I think I'd be hearing about it pretty quickly when we went off air. <laughs> <laughs> this is difficult. Ram, have you got an idea? I'm it struggling. Is. I'm going back. I'm going I'm struggling. I I feel like there's a there's an amalgamation, but I tell you what, you I'm gonna go with Harry Kane. I'll take a what? I think I'm going to go with... He likes that. Go on, say it again. It's not uh, Harry Kane. (laughs) Be still my beating heart. Keep on going. (laughs) I think Harry Kane, because, you know, I I think that you're very passionate about your club. You're very passionate about what happens on the pitch. You're passionate about getting people on side. And when it comes down to it, you deliver rousing speeches to get us all going. 
Well said. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> nice. And it would be churlish for us not to round this off, and he's not going to cut this. <laughs> but let's look at the top right-hand corner of the screen here, our our, our, our erstwhile producer, and, uh, and, and let, let's let's have a let's have a punt here, boys. What do you think? What skipper? So Campbell. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for someone to do it. I was waiting. <laughs> Oh, so Ram's got a point. If the extra inch come in for me on a free transfer, I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not going to tell us until you just turn up on the pod. <laughs> and we'll get nothing for it, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to go again. I think I think like an, uh, a bit of a cross between a, a Mabbot and a King, which I guess is two of the highest honours you could get. So that, know, makes knowledgeable... him, that, make, that makes him a Ming. I'm going to dip. I'm going to dip into the future and say, and I think you're right to mention. Uh, we we discussed Hoiberg earlier. Earlier, I mean, if he sticks around, he is future captain material for sure. Futuristic Hoiberg nomination. That is excellent and pretty on. I think that's getting to be fairly close to on point. Gareth, what do you think? I think. Well, you, you, I've already got Gary Mabbott, haven't I? But I can see that Milo fulfills many of the criteria and attributes of Gary Mabbott. Excellent. I think, yeah, I, I think. I think he's the one who tells us when we're misbehaving, didn't he? I can imagine Babsy <laughs> being the one who had to tell Gazza to stop doing Moonies out the window on the coach on away trips. And I, that's the, the same role that Milo performs for us, isn't it? Well, I agree with all of those, but I'm also going to throw one more into the hat. He's not a Tottenham player, but I sometimes look at Milo as Roy Keane and uh, get very scared sometimes that he's going to go in over the top <laughs> and take me out. But uh, I'm not afraid to stand up to him. And so I, I do try and do a bit of a Vieira in the tunnel every so often, but we always hug in the end. So it's all good. <laughs> no. Anyway, brilliant. I, I don't know. I, sorry for throwing had to throw that in. I thought it was worth doing. Guys, brilliant. Ram, awesome. Gareth, thanks very much indeed. Cheers, Steph. Yes, Cheers, guys. Cheers, Steph. Thanks very much, guys. We'll be back for the rest of the summer with a few more specials before the season starts. Uh, in the meantime, if you like what you hear, dig through the archives. You'll find those oral treasures that we keep on telling you make your drives and dog walks thoroughly wonderful. You already know that, so keep on mining. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, so give us a hello and a follow. And if you like the pod, please share it with your friends, either in real life or wherever you hang out online. Again, thanks very much for joining us. We'll see you next week.